0: Hello, and welcome to Inside Policy Talks, the premier video podcast of the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, Ottawa's most influential public policy think tank. At the Macdonald-Laurier Institute, we harness the power of Canada's brightest minds to tackle Canada's greatest challenges. Learn more at mcdonaldlaurier.ca.
1: Welcome everybody. This is Dr. Balkan Devlin. I'm the director of Transatlantic Program uh, and a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute. Uh, I am today joined in this Inside Policy Talks, uh, policy talks, uh, uh, with uh, Professor uh, Alexander Lanoshka, who is an assistant professor and soon to be an associate professor um, at University of Waterloo and a, a senior uh, fellow here at MLI. Um, Alexander, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so let me just jump into the uh the the topic of the day. Um we are about a month or three weeks um out uh, from the NATO uh, summit in Vilnius in Lithuania. And there are a lot of expectations when it comes to that particular uh particular summit. Um there are talks about Ukraine's uh you know potential membership uh security commitments. Uh, there are expectations when it comes to uh, strengthening the enhanced forward presence um, in in the region and what what the expectations are of the host nations as well as what are expectations from the framework nations and and Canada has been announcing a number of initiatives uh, most recently uh the announcement that we will be sending about fifteen uh, leopard two tanks uh, and the, and the, you know the necessary um, uh, personnel and troops um to go along with it to uh to strengthen our presence in efp so a lot to talk about um on, on that particular domain um so i just want to uh start with uh for the audience just a quick refresher um when it comes to uh, Canada's commitment in Latvia and and forward presence. Uh, could you give us like a the three, four-minute um overview of the history of of, of our involvement there and uh, how we started, where are we right now, before getting into the more the, the nitty-gritty, you know, uh, the weeds of, of the current um current policies and the future of the EFB and Canadian commitments uh, to NATO.
0: Sure. So The story begins in part in 2014, but one should really go further back to when the Baltic countries joined NATO. As per the NATO-Russia Founding Act of 1997, there was a commitment on the part of the alliance not to commit substantial numbers of combat forces to those countries that joined the alliance uh, in the post-Cold War environment. In view of the security environment, uh, that was seen to be uh, one where uh, there would be less of a need for uh, such forces to be positioned uh, eastwards. And as such, the alliance itself did not really have any sort of defense plans for the security of the Baltic countries until sometime in the Obama administration when the Lithuanian uh, president at the time, Gopas had asked for uh, such plans to be drafted and be implemented. In 2014, of course... Uh, there was nothing really in the Baltic region as far as NATO's own military commitments were concerned. It was just the promise of political and military support in the event of uh, Russian uh, military aggression. But with, of course, the illegal annexation of Crimea and the destabilization of the Donbass region in 2014, this lack of presence in NATO's newer easternmost members became a problem in part because there was uncertainty as to the future direction of russian military aggression and so at the Wales summit that year there was um, some effort made to have a very high readiness joint task force uh, being put in place that would help reassure the baltic countries of being small as they are in addition to poland But there was still a lot of uncertainty about what exactly the VJTF would be considering its multinational character and its own placement uh, on NATO territory and so forth. And so at the 2016 Warsaw Summit, NATO countries agreed to the formation of the Enhanced Forward Presence, which envisioned multinational battalion-sized battle groups to be placed in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania and Poland, with framework nations, Great Britain, Canada, Germany, and the United States, uh, respectively, providing the military backbone to those battle groups. And so between 2017 and 2021, these battle groups typically had about 1000 military personnel, give or take a few hundred. Again, uh, this is with uh, respect to uh, the agreements made at the Warsaw Summit, uh, Canada uh, arrived in 2017 in January. Um, it's not entirely clear uh, what sort of capabilities it would have at its, at its disposal then, and there was some uncertainty. Um, but this, again, from the Canadian perspective, was part of a larger initiative called Operation Reassurance, which is still in place, designed to firm up Canada's commitment to NATO, in particularly. Uh, in particular, it's more vulnerable neighbors like uh, members like Latvia uh, and those in the easter flank. So there has been uh, Canadian contributions um, on, at sea with Halifax class frigates being deployed to NATO waters in Europe. In addition to Canada's participation in the Baltic Air Policing Mission, as well as uh, in the um, uh, NATO presence uh, located in Romania. Well, of course, the land presence, the commitment to Latvia uh, is the signature element of operational reassurance. That is indeed part of enhanced forward presence. And it is a multinational battalion, uh, but battle, battalion-sized battle group um, that now comprises 11 countries, effectively, um, with um, uh, Canada and Latvia, of course, included in that number. It's by far the most diverse uh, bat- uh, battle group. It's also the largest, uh, in part because of that diversity. And there's some interesting story as to why Canada got that particular uh, battle group. In, uh, but uh, I've spoken too long, so um, you know, I think that's more or less the gist of Canada's um, own history as regards to the Latvia deployment.
1: Awesome. I think this is this is very good, uh, and I think you know <laughs> uh, it, it provides just a, a quick refresher uh, for people uh, watching or listening this uh, this episode. Um, but two two quick questions. So since um, you know our, our involvement in, in Latvia uh, with this uh, you know battle groups, uh, battalion-sized battle groups, there was also a decision uh, later uh, last year taken in Madrid uh, summit to upgrade them to a brigade level. Uh, Could you sort of uh, unpack that a little bit, what it means, uh, what kind of um, requirements or improvements that uh, that suggests and what is the status of that since the um, the decision or communique was taken uh, or or announced uh, in Madrid uh, in NATO summit last year? um, What is the significance of that development? What that implies uh, for not only for Canada, but for other allies uh, when it comes to forward presence?
0: To be sure, the Madrid decision did not come out of nowhere. So towards the end of 2021, when the implications of Russia's military buildup near Ukraine became uh, fairly clear, the framework nations like the United States, Great Britain, and Germany, and eventually Canada, for that matter, would reinforce the um, battalion-sized battle groups um, positioned in their host countries, respectively. And so there was already some effort made to uh, upscale, as it were, those battle groups. But with the launch of the full-scale invasion of Ukraine on the 24th of February, that gave new impetus for even more upscaling of those battle groups. And indeed, NATO formed new battle groups uh, in uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia,
1: um, as well as
0: Romania, Hungary, uh, and, and even Bulgaria, which is something which is something that is uh, certainly uh, unthinkable uh, prior to twenty twenty two, and so the Madrid summit sought to not only consolidate uh, these reinforcements but to certify the commitment on the part of NATO members to further upgrade those battle groups from battalion size to brigade size and. As per NATO standards, uh, brigades, about four to 5,000 troops. In Canada, we have three brigades. There are about 4,700 uh, military personnel, give and take. And so to go from 1,200, uh, which was typical for the Canadian-led deployment in Latvia, to about 1,800, which was the case in November 2020, so on the uh, eve of Russia's decision to build up militarily near Ukraine to uh, 2,000, as it were, uh, around the time of the invasion to 4,000, or perhaps even 5,000, obviously, is going to be very demanding on uh, any particular uh, framework nation or contributing countries. And I mentioned that there were nine or 10 contributing countries, they're very in terms of what they give and some of them kind of slip in and out, uh, but still it's a lot of capabilities that these countries have to provide. And so there are certain questions uh, being asked as to how possible, uh, it is for Canada or for any of those contributing countries to provide the necessary units to flesh out a brigade sized battle group
1: what what percentage of that um roughly 2000 uh, uh, troops right now is uh is canadian uh, uh canadian troops?
0: uh by my reckoning there are about 700 canadian uh, military personnel uh located in latvia okay. um and indeed uh defense minister uh anand had mentioned that in addition to the 15 uh, leopard tanks there'll be 130 more uh military personnel that'll
1: be deployed um as part of that uh, commitment. So about 80% then of that, you know, uh, roughly 2,085% uh, are Canadian troops located.
0: Yeah, so this is in distinction uh, from what we see, for example, in Britain, uh, in the British-led battle group in Estonia or the US-led battle group in Poland, whereby the framework nation provides a large majority of forces uh, to the battle group. In both Latvia and Lithuania, the framework nations of uh, Canada and Germany are working with a fairly large number um, of contributing countries. And so they provide a little less um, than what the British or the Americans are providing to Estonia and Poland respectively.
1: Okay, um, I mean, this also makes, you wrote an excellent article for uh, for Inside Policy last year, uh, talking about the mission as the unsung song uh, success story uh, of Canada's, uh, you know, Canada's uh, deployment uh, abroad. And this makes it, you know, Canada's largest uh, military commitment. And not only sort of military, but also, you know, including the political uh, missions uh, abroad, this makes it the, the largest um, uh, commitment Canada currently has uh, abroad. Um, which, again, I think... It, it, is is an important point to sort of underlie uh, for the audience to understand the size of it and the and the and the, and the importance that Canada attaches um, to to this particular mission. So I uh, just wanted to highlight that one. Um, so going going back to the challenges that you you have identified, you know, going from two thousand to four or five thousand, um, where those where would those troops come from?
0: I'm not too too familiar with the Canadian Order of Battle to say. But we do know that in 2017, Strong, Secure, Engage envisioned a force structure of about 71,500 troops, and we're about 12,000 short of that goal, from what I understand, in part because of basic recruitment problems. The economy is doing very well right now. It's hard to entice young people to join the Canadian Armed Forces, as well as retention issues owing to... Uh, perceptions of a very toxic environment, not the least of which has been fueled or uh, by uh, a number of sexual harassment scandals that have rocked um, the Canadian military at the very highest levels. And so without going into necessarily the equipment issues, the armament issues, the procurement issues, and so forth, the Canadian Armed Forces already have difficulty Trying to fill the ranks, and of course, if we're trying to provide the backbone of a four thousand or five thousand strong battle group uh, with our own forces, that's going to be really challenging in part because we have trouble already uh, meeting our own recruitment targets, to say nothing of uh,
1: retention uh, targets and so forth. so, it, other allies who are part of this this mission will probably also need to step up um, to provide, you know, maybe you know, increase the number of troops uh, that they are um, they're providing. Um, there was could you there was a there was a recent deployment or announcement of deployment of, of Danish troops um, about eight hundred or so I think uh, going up to a thousand uh, to Latvia as a part of the multinational uh, group North I believe. Uh, what's the relationship with that and the, and and EFP? That deployment was interesting
0: because it, in fact, highlighted some gaps uh, in equipment that the Canadian Armed Forces have. And indeed, some Canadian Armed Forces uh, personnel in Latvia have sought to acquire their own equipment, vests and so forth yeah, here on, uh, on the private market. Or they would, in fact, borrow them from those Danish uh, soldiers in the, uh, for the sake of going about uh, training exercises. So obviously, the Danish contribution is very important. It helps shore up the battle group, it helps flesh it out, uh, but has had this unfortunate, but perhaps necessary effect of exposing some gaps that the k Armed r forces um, do experience. And those are gaps that unfortunately are very real in the Latvian context.
1: Do you expect, I mean, the, 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 this gap that you, you have identified and the need to actually invest in, uh, in those capabilities and to properly equip uh, the you know, Canadian troops uh, to fulfill the commitments that, that Canada uh, made um, would require, you know, in, increased investment. Do you expect uh, to see, uh, you know, a specific... Uh, budget items or or uh, amounts uh you know announced uh whenever the defense policy update comes and and if you do what direction do you think that that should that should go um to ensure that you know we are actually fulfilling the commitments that we we make uh back in madrid and and, and continue to provide uh, uh, <laughs> our soldiers with the basic kit uh that they don't need to go and buy uh, on the uh on the on the on the you know uh, on the market On Amazon. On Amazon. Amazon's not
0: really available in that, but still. Um, Yeah, so I would hope that those news reports that identify these glaring needs will galvanize the Canadian government to acquire uh, those gear or those pieces of equipment so as to avoid relying on Danish soldiers or on the private marketplace uh, to fill them there have been of course statements made by the defense minister that certain uh, pieces of military equipment or hardware sent to ukraine for instance would be uh, replenished or would be filled this was in reference to the provision of uh, leopard 2a uh, tanks uh, to ukraine that uh, canada will seek uh new tanks not necessarily leopard 2 tanks but nevertheless main battle tanks all the same and indeed, the Canadian defense budget has been steadily growing since 2015, 2016, um, especially since Trump won the presidency, to everyone's surprise, uh, in late of 2016. And so the news is not entirely terrible, uh, as far as spending is concerned, because we are seeing that uptick. And our colleague, Richard Shimuka has written this wonderful piece for The Hub, showing that there are a number of spending initiatives that uh, are aimed at recapitalizing parts of the Canadian Armed Forces, including looking into uh, advanced artillery systems drone capabilities, uh, to say nothing of uh, trying to replace um, our aging submarine fleet, as well as the efforts currently underway to uh, acquire British Type 26 uh, frigates to again replace our aging uh, frigate fleet. So there are certainly efforts underway whether it's enough, uh, that's, I think, a question that uh, many military analysts will answer in the negative, precisely because Canada is a rich country. It does spend 1.5% of its GDP, sure, but it's a large economy, all the same. That does mean quite a bit of, of hardware, all the same. But uh, we do train a lot. We do engage in these sorts of operations, like reassurance or the enhanced Forward p- presence as part of reassurance. Which does mean we have a lot of training um, undertaken at a high operational tempo, but that also means that we do go through gear and component parts rather quickly, perhaps uh, more quickly than some of our allies who do not engage in as much training. Uh, so there are efforts being made to address these gaps, but precisely because the Canadian armed forces have suffered from not just years, but decades of neglect, there's a lot of overhang, and uh, we are only starting to, uh, address those gaps uh, in, in, in rather piecemeal fashion, but in a way that's still trending in a positive direction.
1: Oh, that's that's good to hear. I mean, um, two quick questions before moving to the sort of the bigger picture uh, in 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 Vilnius and what we can expect uh, over there. Uh, one, uh, with the announcement of the of the you know, fifteen Leopard tanks uh, being sent alongside the personnel uh, related to it, um, do you think that is the capability gap that needs to be filled, or uh, what other sort of, when you look at the, the broad, you know, EFB, um, in terms of the, the requirements uh, to strengthen and and ensure that those troops are protected and that they do provide, a, 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 you know, defense rather than a tube wire, uh, which the, the shift from, you know, um, uh, to, to, to actual defense rather than acting them as a tube wire. Is that the capability that is needed or do we need to sort of... Um, uh, focus on and 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 remedy other uh, other uh, you know uh, capability gaps, such as for example, uh, short range uh, air defense systems and, and others.
0: Yeah, so you touch on this classic debate that surrounds the F.P. as to whether these forces constitute simply a tripwire or are a combat credible force on their own right. I don't think they're quite a tripwire. A tripwire would be a token military force incapable of putting much resistance uh some observers would embrace the tripwire uh, label for uh, describing the fp in general because of the military symmetries involved in the region but in canada the official lines that these are absolutely not tripwires and indeed the canadian-led battle group does undertake a very rigorous certification process Lasting about six months it's perhaps the most rigorous such process, even though the battle group itself is very multinational, pulling together units from nine to 11 countries. And as such, they are training to fight. They are training to kill. And as such, they have a lot more combat credibility than what the tripwire moniker would have you believe.
1: And I think it's also quite important to to highlight the fact that you know, after the re-invasion in in, in February 2022, um, it became quite clear that you know the troop-wide component would not cut. It has to be a, a proper equipped defense force to defend allies and you know engage in deterrence by denial. Uh, rather than um, uh, you know uh, try to uh, act as as just a tripwire in which you know follow-on forces will do the will do the um, the actual work uh, because the the way that Russian army you know uh, uh, continued to commit uh, war crimes in, in in Ukraine we saw that it, the, the the EFB and the troops there have to be proper defence rather than just uh, just a tripwire.
0: But that in turn raises an interesting observation because the combat armed army group positioned or headquartered in Kaliningrad has been effectively destroyed. The Russian military units based in and around Peskov, which would be used in any sort of military contingency against the Baltic countries, have suffered very high attrition. You can even argue that they've been destroyed. Uh, And yes, they may be filled out with mobilized um, military personnel, conscripts, in other words, but... We have seen already in Ukraine that these conscripts suffer from low morale. They've undertaken very, very basic training. In fact, there are anecdotes to suggest that they do not even fire more than 10 live rounds of ammunition. And as such, they've been very ill-prepared uh, to defend um certain points along the front line, and indeed have suffered very high attrition rates uh, as such. And so That raises the question as to how much is really enough uh, in terms of reinforcing the battle groups themselves, given that the Russian armed forces, specifically the ground forces positioned near the Baltic countries have suffered very high levels of attrition as they have. Of course, sending in a tank squadron of the sort that Canada has recently announced obviously adds to the firepower and maneuver capabilities of the battle group but it might not necessarily be the necessary thing to do in view of what russia has been um, undertaken by sending so much equipment and using personnel mobilized or not as a kind fodder in many cases and um, so there is an assurance aspect to these Contributions in the sense that they assure Latvia that the battle group can put up a very strong defense to such a degree that um, they can repel Russian forces and liberate whatever conquered territory those Russian forces might try to take or end up taking. Uh, But at the same time, the deterrence need has in fact shifted uh, away from providing even more uh, military forces to the Baltic countries precisely because of the level of attrition that the Russian armed forces have suffered. That being said, Russia still has been reconstituting a lot of military units. Some of them have suffered 300% casualty rates, which suggests that there is insane turnover in some of those units. Russia, as you pointed out, still engages in various war crimes uh, along various vectors uh, along Ukraine. Indeed, Zelensky put out a statement today that there could be some sort of uh, sabotage operation afoot, as a provision of power plant. So as much as the Russian army has suffered tremendously, it is still capable of wreaking tremendous harm such that the assurance aspect might very well be politically uh, desirable, if not necessary, even if the military aspect may not necessarily be as strong of an argument as say it once was in 2021 before uh, the Russian armed forces commit itself to that very tragic, well, Ill-fated decision, as it were, to go about an invasion of everything.
1: Uh, very good. I'm just going to coming towards the end here. Um, two two questions, maybe to wrap it up. One, you know, in in Vilnius summit, particularly when it comes to um, the EFB, uh, what do you see the sort of expected uh, announcements or developments? Um, and it's a part of that question, you know do you think someone who understands the region and 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 follows it closely the decisions that were taken last year in madrid uh up to now to what extent um the developments meet the um expectations uh of particular the host nations in the region uh compared to what the what the reality has been delivered and what do you what do you expect uh in, in Vilnius with you guys the fb and you know as a part of that like where where are we how did we come come on this one and is it you know, is it time to start thinking about uh, permanent stationing um, as you know, <laughs> by uh, officially terminating the uh, NATO-Russia Founding Act and permanently um, stationing uh, NATO troops in the region rather than rotational bases? So those two things.
0: Because NATO is a consensus-based organization, you need to have the agreement of all 31, maybe now 32, uh, members signing on to any sort of decision at the alliance level and as such it's really hard to go about major changes to policy including the nato-russia founding act the united states still pays lip service to the nato-russia founding act not just germany although i think if the united states were to abandon its position and pressure germany then i think the nrfa would probably um, uh, left in the dustbin uh, but with respect to the efp i do not foresee many significant changes that would be announced. Uh, these things are oftentimes negotiated in advance of the meeting of various ministerials. Indeed, I already saw an article in the Lithuanian press that uh, the communique is already being drafted, which tells you that uh, at least on the big issues, the decisions have already been made. Now, There could still be some announcement about the NATO-Russia Founding Act. I think a lot of people will be looking for uh, a final repudiation of that document. It should have perhaps been repudiated in 2014 with the seizure of Crimea, but alas, here we are. Um, I don't necessarily see it happening, but it should happen. There are calls, of course, for there to be a very clear membership pathway for Ukraine. But again, it's a 31-going-on-32-member alliance. Some allies are very hesitant about Ukraine uh, joining NATO. And indeed, my own view is that Ukraine will be allowed to join NATO when it no longer needs NATO. Uh, So I I don't really see too too much happening there. There's been some mixed messaging about the uh, use of NATO as an alliance um, to provide weapons to Ukraine. For a number of political reasons, the decision was made early on to uh, go about multilateral discussions of weapons transfers to Ukraine outside of NATO auspices, in part to um, counteract uh, potential lines of Russian propaganda uh, propaganda and argumentation. And so decisions about upgrading the battle groups will probably echo those. Uh, that were made in Madrid. I think what we're probably going to see more concretely is a call for 2% of defense betting as um, uh, as a share of gross domestic product being the floor. And indeed, the uh, pledge was made uh, earlier than 2014, uh, but became certified in 2014 at the Wales Summit. The call was, of course, for our NATO members to reach that goal by 2024. We're in 2023. Number of countries fall well short of it, and so I can see uh, this Vilnius summit reinforcing that pledge, perhaps arguing for a timetable that might be a little more aggressive in view of uh, what's been happening in the
1: region since twenty fourteen. This is actually a great uh, segue to from my last question. Um, uh, when it comes to uh, the, the summit and expectations uh, from Canada by the allies. Um, uh, what do we expect the uh, the political pressure be the the two percent is definitely going to be on the table i think we have seen a number of um what <laughs> leaks uh, as well as news articles uh basically uh, expressing uh, dissatisfaction uh by by nato allies that Canada is doesn't seem to be uh you know uh, in a hurry to to meet that particular uh, particular target and that now that that you know as, as stoutenberg um Highlighted, it's not the ceiling; it's the floor, and that seems to be the direction, as you pointed out. Um, what do you expect to uh, f- from the Canadian side? The Canadian government uh, might uh, announce or or you know try to um, convince the allies that Canada uh, will be stepping up, or is it too optimistic to expect uh, the government to uh, to to be to be pushed along these these lines and would continue to, uh, you know. Uh, Uh, so that, well, we'll get there eventually.
0: To be fair to the Canadian government, I never detected much dissatisfaction on the part of Latvians with respect to their leadership of the enhanced foreign presence battle group in their country. In fact, I think it's worked out really nice for them. Uh, My colleague Tom Savastok would say that with Canada being a leader of the battle group, uh, that makes the playing field or the discussion Um, being much more level uh, between the two allies than what would be the case if it were France, Germany, or even the United States. Of course, Latvian officials have argued for some sort of American presence on their soil. There's nothing that's better than having a firm American commitment to your own territory. But that being said, uh, they have not been as dissatisfied as one might think about the quality of the Canadian uh, military commitment. To the contrary, I think they've been fairly satisfied, even though there are, of course, very reasonable concerns about the pace of the um, effort to build up the battle group from a battalion size to a brigade size. Of course, outside of the latvian uh, canadian alliance uh, within NATO, there are other allies that do think that Canada should be stepping up, that has easy road on American involuntary security guarantees, because of course, Canada is the only NATO country to have a land border with the United States. How lucky are we? And so I can see some movement on the part of Canada to go about spending more as what we've already seen. The Trudeau government has already made those sorts of pledges. There hasn't really been much in the last budget that really signals anything new. Above all, it's, I think um, in any sort of uh, defense policy update, what we're going to see, it'll probably be a more focus or a, an emphasis still on some of the basic recruitment and retention challenges that the Canadian Armed Forces
1: are currently facing and have been facing for a while. So, uh, in other words, we probably will not be. Expecting to see any sort of major announcements uh, in, in NATO summit when it comes to defense spending and and, and similar uh, from the Canadian side
0: There could be announcements and there have been a trickle of announcements that we have seen over the course of the last year with regards to modernization the delivery of more weapons to Ukraine in addition to the new leopards uh, being uh, or not new leopards, but the additional deployment of leopards uh, to uh, the Canadian battle group in Latvia. I don't necessarily see anything that would be a game changer. These sorts of things, again, are negotiated in advance the follow-up particular process. Uh, and as such, we have to manage our expectations for what would be uh, newly announced.
1: Yes. And uh, and of course, where the, you know, Robert rubber hits the is you know, uh, announcing and, and attaching actual amounts to those with with a with timetable. Uh, that that that's quite clear that this is what we're going to spend this is what we're going to spend on and this is the time frame we're going to do it and here's the is a clear commitment rather than some you know uh, amorphous i think um uh declarations so um thank you uh, alexander for uh, for joining me today in this uh, inside policy uh, talks and providing i think an excellent overview of what we could expect uh, in the upcoming NATO summit, as well as a, a, quite a detailed take on uh, on the EFP uh, and Canada's commitment uh, to Latvia and and the and and the defense uh, of our allies over there. Um, and uh, thank you for the audience uh, for uh, for tuning in.